All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are continuing our training camp previews going position by position. And today we're talking all about the Falcons cornerback position. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at falcfans.com. R.I.P. Still going strong, however, on Twitter at Falcfans and, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode, we will be taking a deep dive into the Falcons cornerback position, talking about what's at stake for various Falcon players, including A.J. Terrell, Fabian Moreau, the incoming players like Darren Hall and what that means for incumbents like Isaiah Oliver and Kendall Sheffield. So we'll get into all of that coming up on today's Locked On Falcons podcast. But before we get into that, I do want to let you guys know about the Locked On Fantasy Football podcast. I know that as we approach training camp, that means you're going to start drafting your fantasy teams this year and joining leagues. And if you want that daily edge that you need so your fantasy squad never fails, then you should subscribe to the Locked On Fantasy Football podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So before we get into the Falcons cornerback position, I do want to say with regret, uh, I want to express my condolences to the family of former Falcons assistant coach, Greg Knapp, who died on Thursday at the age of 58 after being critically injured when he was struck by a car last weekend while riding his bike in California Knapp was a longtime assistant coach in the NFL for 25 years and also played in the NFL as a backup quarterback in the late 80s and 90s with various teams. Of course, Falcon fans are very familiar with him from his two stints in Atlanta, where he served as the offensive coordinator under head coach Jim Moore from 2004 to 2006 and those Michael Vick years, and then rejoining the team in 2018 as the quarterback's coach, a role he served in over the past three seasons. He was hired to the new coaching staff by the New York Jets this past all season after his departure in Atlanta and across his 25 years as an assistant coach. He served as an offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach for various teams, including San Francisco, Oakland, Seattle, Houston, and Denver as well. Greg Knapp is survived by his wife, Charlotte and three daughters. But uh, with that being said, you know, let's move on to uh, more brighter things with the Falcons quarterback position. And this is a position that perhaps, uh, underwent the least amount of turnover relative to other positions on this roster this offseason. Um, the Falcons did add some players to the spot, but didn't lose a ton of players uh, with Bleedy Ray Wilson and Jordan Miller being the only players that they lost. And of course they cut Jordan Miller during last season and they wound up adding players like Fabian Moreau in free agency and then drafting Darren Hall and Avery Williams in the draft did not add any undrafted free agents after the draft. Um, and so before we get into the conversation about the various players, and, you know, I do also want to uh, do what I have done for all these positions and, and give you my best guess at what I think the depth chart will likely be entering training camp. 
Um, and, you know, looking at the left cornerback position, of course, you have A.J. Terrell atop that. You have Darren Hall as his primary backup with Chris Williamson probably being the third string guy at that position. At the right cornerback position, I expect Fabian Moreau to get the first team snaps, followed by Kendall Sheffield and then Delrick Abrams uh, Jr., with the third string at right cornerback. And then you have the nickel cornerback where I believe Isaiah Oliver will enter camp as a starter followed by Darren Hall, getting the uh, potentially those second team reps with Avery Williams, also potentially getting some second team reps, but primarily third team reps followed by Tyler Hall sort of on the back end of that nickel cornerback spot. And what's notable is that the team did cross train Darren Hall, both as an inside and outside corner during the May rookie mini camps. And my suspicion is you'll see them follow suit as we enter training camp, but eventually you'll start to see Darren Hall start to get more reps uh, with that starting unit at the nickel cornerback spot. And you might wind up seeing him swap places with Isaiah Oliver while Oliver starts to get more reps on the outside with the second team unit. So that's something to keep an eye on as we move forward. But as we move forward on today's lockdown Falcons, we're going to talk about AJ Terrell and Fabian Moreau and their expectations for them as starters this upcoming season in Atlanta. But before we get into that, guys, I do want to plug the ultimate mock draft 2021 for the NBA. We're at day five of this five day extravaganza. If you're listening to this on Friday, if you haven't checked it out, you've gotten every pick in the first round uh, from insights from experts like NBA draft guru, Chad Ford. You also have Odyssey sports experts like former Phoenix Suns GM, Ryan McDonough, uh, former NBA player, Brian Scalabrini, AKA white Mamba, and former NCAA coach, Jimmy Patsos. Uh, if you're subscribed or you were subscribed to the ultimate mock draft for the NFL uh, and are still subscribed to that, you automatically are subscribed to this NBA one. And you'll of course want to continue to save subscribe uh, to that feed um, afterwards uh, where you'll continue to get some great content uh, coming from the college side and in NFL side of things later this summer. But if you aren't subscribed to it, you can find the ultimate NBA mock draft 2021 by just searching for ultimate mock draft 2021 on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So guys, did you know that Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market, has several delicious flavors? I'm a big fan of the coconut almond because it tastes just like an almond joy. But maybe you're more into the mint brownie, the cookies and cream, cherry barcia, double chocolate, salted caramel, coconut or raspberry. There's something for everyone. And there's also the occasional limited time flavors like German chocolate cake and grasshopper cookie already this summer. You still got the orange and strawberry that are on sale throughout the summer. So don't waste any more time if you haven't tried those. Of course, highly recommend the combination of strawberries and chocolate. And that's what's great about Built Bars because they taste just like a candy bar. They all contain 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They're a very healthy snack that you can eat just like a candy bar, but get none of the guilt. And it's not just about Built Bars' great taste. None of that guilt comes from the fact that they're very healthy too. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber. You can take advantage of this offer by heading over to builtbar.com. Use the promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code locked 15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. So let's talk about AJ Terrell and his 2020 debut season had its 
fair share of ups and downs, but I think the ups far outweigh the downs. And, and certainly I think the ups looked great, although the downs not so great. And, and most of the downs came in the second half of the season where during that three game stretch from weeks 13 through 15, the Falcons tried to use AJ Terrell as a shadow corner against the likes of players like Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen and Mike Evans. And based off of my own charting of those games, Against Michael Thomas, there were five times he was targeted in man coverage. He gave up three completions for 34 yards with two pass breakups. So it's not great, but certainly showed some promising uh, signs with his ability to make plays on the ball. Then against Keenan Allen, the following, he was targeted seven times, gave up six completions for 33 yards. Not a single one of those completions was more than eight yards, so no big plays. So that's a promising sign. But three out of those six completions were conversions on third and shorts. Again, you can kind of excuse that given that he was working a lot more out of the slot, which was not something that AJ Terrell has had a ton of experience doing, but then it sort of came to a head in week 15 um, where he went up against Mike Evans and there's really no excuses you can make for the struggles he had in that game where he was basically picked apart several times for some big plays in the third quarter, which prompted the Bucks comeback in that game. You know, he was targeted four times against Evans in man coverage, gave up four completions for 92 yards, uh, not to mention a, a defensive pass interference and face mask penalty that essentially acted as another big play allowed that gave the, the Bucks 28 yards of field position to set up another score going into the fourth quarter. Uh, and basically after that point, starting in the fourth quarter of that game, the Falcons were like, no Moss, we're not going to do this anymore. They switched things up. They parked A.J. Terrell back on his usual left side of the defense. And if you count the fourth quarter of that Bucks game, the Week 16 game against the Chiefs, as well as the Week 17 game against the Bucks, and look at how Terrell charted it when I charted him in man coverage he was targeted across those two plus games a total of 13 times only gave up six completions for 105 yards most of those yards came on two big plays about something close to like 80 uh of 70 80 percent of those yards came on two big plays to Tyreek Hill and Chris Godwin where he basically missed tackles not because he was in bad coverage but he basically missed tackles that allowed those guys to get big yards after the catch but you look at that week 17 game he practically shut down Antonio Brown for the several instances instances where he went head to head with him. Um, and that's in contrast to another player that we'll talk about later uh, when he matched up against Antonio Brown in that particular game. But uh, if you go back to the five games uh, before week 13, when they started using him as a shadow corner, when he primarily was lined up on the left side with 90% of his snaps coming at that left cornerback spot, you know, you only saw him give up 44% completions on 18 targets in the man coverage based off of my charting. So when you basically do this split and we're going to, you know, for the record, leave out the five games to start the season because it doesn't necessarily fit the narrative. We'll just excuse it as, hey, Dan Quinn didn't know what he was doing. And we'll just basically look at A.J. Terrell when he was uh, coached by a good defensive coordinator in Raheem Morris just because otherwise, you know, because basically A.J. Terrell did not play well the first two weeks and then he was hurt for or had COVID for weeks three and four. Um so it doesn't quite fit the narrative. But if we just excuse the first five games and look at the other games, um, but where AJ Terrell was parked mainly as a outside left corner, you know, he only gave up 45% completions in those games and 7.4 yards per attempt. But when he was utilized in those three games as a shadow corner, really four games, if you throw in the Vikings game, uh, four games as a shadow corner, he gave up 82% completion and 9.8 yards per attempt. So there's certainly room for improvement when it comes to AJ Terrell being a shadow 
shadow corner, but certainly he has the positive traits. We saw him in that Vikings game in week six be utilized primarily as a shadow corner against Adam Thielen and basically shut him down for three and a half quarters. So it's not to say he can't do it, but, you know, obviously one good game versus three questionable games, you know, the, the scales sort of tip in one direction. So it's basically levels to this. And I think there's certainly a level where AJ Terrell is at right now where you can park him on one side of the field and feel like he essentially creates somewhat of a no fly zone. Um, and then the next level is being that shadow corner guy that can line up anywhere left, right, or in the slot and have a comparable uh, no fly zone wherever he winds up. And I don't think AJ Terrell is quite at that level. Uh, and he may not get there. He may get there. And part of it is because I'm cognizant of AJ Terrell not being sort of, you see this push and pull with guys um, over hyping guys. And, and we saw this with Vic Beasley, where a lot of people after uh, his first year labeled Vic Beasley a bus. And I think some of Vic Beasley's success in his second season was overhyped because it was basically backlash to the backlash. And people were saying like, Oh, you guys called Vic Beasley a bus and he's this incredible player. And then we saw Vic Beasley kind of find himself stuck in the middle where he wasn't a bus, but he wasn't the superstar in the making. And I know Kendall Jackson brought this up on Twitter this past week, but you know, I don't consider Vic BC to be a bus. I, I consider him to be a competent role player. When I look at his overall body of work, the problem was that it took the Falcons four and a half years to be able to figure out what exactly that role he should be utilizing. And that to me was two years too late at that point. Um, but you know, I know Comparing anyone to Vic Beasley leaves a, a sour taste, a bitter taste in a lot of your mouths or at least your ears as you listen to me say that. But my point is not to say, you know, what A.J. Terrell is going to be, but basically he's going to be whatever he's going to be is, is what I'm getting at. And my concern is sort of the initial backlash from the A.J. Terrell pick uh, where people were very negative on that will lead to backlash to that backlash where you're going to have a lot of people kind of overhyping A.J. Terrell and trying to build him up to be the superstar, which he may or may not be be and you know four or five years down the road we're gonna you know it's gonna be time to pay AJ Terrell and the conversation is going to be whether or not AJ Terrell is a superstar elite corner as opposed to just a good solid corner and to me this was the same conversation I think we sort of delved into with Desmond Trufant uh, once we paid him where people were expecting him to be this sort of Jalen Ramsey Patrick Peterson type of player and when he wasn't oh he's trash and I, I don't want to see that sort of polarization of the conversation around uh, AJ Terrell he doesn't necessarily need to be a superstar shut down number one corner um, but I certainly think the potential is there for him to get there and he flashed it against guys like Adam Thielen and, and Michael Thomas um, but basically the point I'm making is where he is currently if that's all he's going to be that's great that's still a really good cornerback and that's all we really need. I'm just trying to keep things grounded there. So while we have grounded expectations that make me really confident that the Falcons have at least a good corner on the left side of their defense, you know, it's kind of the complete opposite in terms of the right side of the defense where Fabian Moreau is just because we don't really know what Fabian Moreau is as a starting outside corner. He certainly has the potential there. He played both inside and outside for Washington in 2018, 2019, and then barely played this past season in 2020 in, in part due to the fact that Washington had upgraded their outside and nickel cornerback positions where he primarily served as their nickel cornerback in 2018 and in parts of 2019. Um, but I, my expectation is he'll enter training camp really as the uncontested starting outside right corner. Um, and, you know, maybe there's a nominal competition between him and a Kendall Sheffield, 
Um, but in my eyes, it's 100% uh, Fabian Moreau's job to lose. And to me, you know, the fact that the Falcons didn't really try to add more players at the cornerback position to push Moreau strongly hints that they at least have the confidence that he'll be able to handle that starting right cornerback job. And maybe that stems from uh, the Falcons' de facto assistant GM, Kyle Smith, being in Washington when they drafted him and having a lot of competition for him. Um, but you know, it seems like the Falcons are putting a lot of their eggs, at least at the outside cornerback spot in that basket. Maybe, you know, uh, hall could push him, but I don't quite see that. And we'll talk about that later, but you know, I think there's reasons to be optimistic that Moreau will be able to handle those responsibilities. If you look at pro football focuses charting, not my own, um, over the last three years, at least when you look at the games, uh, separate the games between the games that he was predominantly an outside corner and the games where he was predominantly a nickel cornerback in those games where he was an outside corner he gave up about 63 percent completion rate and 8.25 yards per attempt and only allowed a 62 passer rating now as a slot corner that raised to 76 percent completions 10.5 yards per pass attempt and a 124 passer rating and a lot of that's owed to uh, those increases is owed to the fact that the majority of um, Moreau's on-ball production came when he was an outside corner with five of his all five of his interceptions over the last three seasons uh, coming in games where he was primarily an outside corner and five pass breakups. While when he was in the slot, he only had, he had no interceptions and only two pass breakups. So if you're comparing Faber Moreau's uh, job as an outside corner where it's 63% completions, 8.25 yards per attempt in the 62 pass rating, compare that to at least pro football focuses charting of dark Denard. When he was an outside corner for those six games, he played last year, starting in week three, outside of the games where he was hurt. Denard gave up 55% completion, 3.9 yards per attempt, um, and an 81 passer rating. So, you know, Moreau's not quite at that level because Denard was really good at not giving up big plays when he was primarily an outside corner. He gave up a couple, you know, uh, had a couple of blown coverages and whatnot, miscommunications on the back end, but for the most part, wasn't really beat for a ton of big plays. And that, that may be something that, you know, Moreau may be a little bit more vulnerable to because my previous film study this spring showed me that maybe he was a little bit more susceptible to deep speed uh, going up against guys like Darius Slayton and others uh, in the NFC East. But I feel like Moreau does at least if he can continue to maintain what he has been as an outside corner, those numbers aren't amazing. You know, not as good as say AJ Terrell's numbers last year, but certainly they're more than capable enough. They're certainly uh, competent enough, what you would expect from a, a capable starting outside corner. And I think that's more than enough to get the Falcons through this season with serviceable number two cornerback play. And that's really kind of what you're asking for Fabian Moreau so that the Falcons can go into next off season where they're probably going to have to make bigger, more long-term decisions, a little bit more informed, not only of what type of player AJ Terrell is, if whether or not he can start to ascend and be more of that shutdown number one, one corner that we hope he can be and as well as what Fabian Moreau is. Uh, and so that's going to inform your decisions when it comes to the draft, where this team may be willing to use a high pick on a cornerback because they need a quality starter or they might just wind up settling for some depth on day three of the draft because that's all they really need at the position if guys like Terrell and Moreau, you know, come to play. 
or, you know, with the increase in potential cap space, does that mean to the Falcons are willing to re-sign a guy like Fabian Moreau if he plays well to a long-term contract that pays him a little bit more than a veteran minimum? Or do they go out there and sign someone else uh, to a long-term contract that maybe can provide that ability if Moreau does not quite live up to expectations? So uh, that's where we'll leave that and we'll continue today's Lockdown Falcons getting into the conversation about what should be the biggest roster battle at the cornerback position entering the summer uh, where we'll be talking about the starting nickel cornerback as well as the potential depth battles behind that uh, and we'll focus quite a bit of our attention on what Isaiah Oliver's future is in Atlanta if he has a future in Atlanta but speaking of the future let me tell you about the two draft related podcasts on the Lockdown Podcast Network the Lockdown NFL Draft Podcast as well as the Draft Dude Podcast are the two shows that help you stay locked on who to keep an eye on for this upcoming college football season in relation to those future prospects in the 2022 NFL draft, follow the locked on NFL draft podcast or the draft dudes podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So starting with the nickel cornerback spot, I do expect Darren Hall to eventually win this spot. And as I discussed when we did our scouting report of Darren Hall earlier this summer, it didn't make a ton of sense for me for the Falcons to value Darren Hall in the fourth round if they saw him as an outside corner. And part of the reason why I think a lot of people graded him uh, as a sixth, seventh round pick was because his projection as an outside corner, which was the spot he predominantly and almost exclusively played at San Diego State, was just not that impressive. And, you know, it may be tunnel vision on my part, but the way I sort of see it is if you drafted him to upgrade your nickel spot, you know, where we drafted him is much more warranted. And that's something that you can get him on the field as soon as possible. And that makes the most sense for me. Um, and so we'll talk about this a bit later, but I think given that he should be able to handle the speed better than say an incumbent like Isaiah Oliver does, I think that potentially gives you a leg up in a, a large percentage of the Falcons potential matchups uh, at the wide receiver position this upcoming season. Now, what that does, if Hall does wind up winning that nickel cornerback spot, is I do think it does make Isaiah Oliver a, a lot more expendable uh, and potentially puts him on the roster bubble because Oliver doesn't have a clear-cut role in special teams on that punt coverage unit uh, since he doesn't really have the speed you're looking for in a gunner, nor does he have really the size to play on the line of scrimmage on punt coverage. Now, maybe he can be a personal protector, and during his rookie summer, he did get a couple of reps in the preseason in that role, and that's a vacancy for the Falcons right now uh, where there isn't a clear-cut option there. Maybe it's Eric Harris, maybe it's Deron Harmon, maybe it's Quadri Olison, maybe it's somebody else. Uh, so maybe Oliver is in the mix there. But, you know, typically the way that NFL teams structure their roster is they like to activate at least four corners on game day. And three of those four will be starters. And the fourth one is going to have to contribute primarily on special teams. And if you have a fifth guy get activated, you know, he too is going to have to find a way to contribute on special teams. And that seems at this point unlikely with a player like Oliver. So it does hurt his chances of potentially sticking and beyond special teams. I think there are concerns about Oliver's ability to impact on defense this year as the team's nickel cornerback, where 
you have roughly half of the games that the Falcons are face, set to face this year against teams that have slot receivers that Oliver typically struggles against those faster, quicker guys, the CeeDee Lambs, the Jalen Waddles, Cole Beasley, Devontae Smith, etc. And basically anybody that, that we've seen that runs a 4-4 has generally given Isaiah Oliver problems these last couple of years. And while I think he still is a valuable slot receiver going up against uh, bigger slot re- receivers, uh, and we've seen him do a reasonably good job against players like, say, a Chris Godwin, but, you know, outside of, say, you know, the Muhammad Sanus that he might be facing in that 49ers game, you're not having that many of those types of big slots on the Falcons schedule this year. And we saw in that week 17 game against uh, Tampa Bay where the Bucks put Antonio Brown quite a bit in the slot. And uh, he was absolutely cooking him all game long. So it's, it's a limited set of matchups that Isaiah Oliver is an asset for. And I think that has a limiting impact on your defense. And this is not meant to sort of bash Isaiah Oliver as regular listeners know, I've been one of the, the handful of people that have generally defended Oliver, at least it's starting in the early part of the 2020 season, not necessarily the 2019 season. Um, but I think, you know, this summer really gives the Falcons an opportunity for a fresh start and a new coaching staff to come in with no sort of expectations that they're trying to salvage Isaiah Oliver like the previous coaching staff and previous regime did simply because they invested a second round pick in him. And I think we see this sort of mentality also affect fans because I think that's one of the reasons why you have heard, you know, all this talk over the last nine or so months of fans talking about, Hey, maybe we can move Isaiah Oliver to safety because it's this idea of, we still have to sort of salvage him in some way. And if we can turn him into a capable starting safety for us, that somewhat salvages the fact that we invested a second round pick. And I just think at some point you have to let that go. Um, so I'm not really an Isaiah Oliver basher like others are, but again, I think it's about the limitations that he brings to the table. You know, he's a good run defender and he's capable against size uh, when he's covered. And maybe that leads not necessarily given that the Falcons aren't facing a ton of big slots. Maybe that leads to him, being asked to cover tight ends because you don't necessarily have that Keanu Neal in your secondary anymore. That that tight end eraser when you want to deploy man coverage and you're essentially, as we talked about in the linebacker episode, maybe going to be reliant on players like Foye Olakun or Michael Walker to handle those responsibilities. And, and we don't know quite yet right now if those guys are going to be up to snuff in terms of, of doing that. Um, and so this is similar to what we saw the Falcons do with uh, Deji Olatoye way back in 2016, where he would often function as a dime defensive back and specifically be asked to cover tight ends over the middle of the field. And there's no rule that says your dime defensive back has to be a, a safety. You know, for those of you that aren't informed, you know, dime is when defenses utilize six defensive backs. And traditionally that's three corners and three safeties. Um, but often that third safety functions essentially as a extra box linebacker and run defender. And, you know, Oliver could be used in that role under Dean Pease, who has been known to use dime packages in the past. You know, that's certainly a, a possibility here. Um, but the truth is, 
you know, you're probably not going to have that be a huge part of your defense this year in, in, in Atlanta because that sixth defensive back is replacing often a linebacker. And right now it doesn't seem likely that you're going to remove Deion Jones or Foye Olakun off the field. Again, Olakun is probably your primary tight end cover guy, but also, as we talked about in the linebacker episode, has been outstanding against running backs uh, in limited opportunities. And we know Deion Jones uh, has been, when he's been playing his best football, has been outstanding, you know, this sort of running back eraser in the passing game. And so in this scenario, you're only really going to remove one of those guys, particularly Ola Kuhn, um, if he's struggling to cover tight ends. Right. Um, and so, you know, in that scenario, if Ola Kuhn struggles, could o- Oliver be a decent plan B to be sort of your plan B as a tight end eraser? Sure. But, you know, Ola Toya was a player that the Falcons picked up off the street and, and kept on the practice squad um, for a time being. And I think with these sort of plan B players, uh, and we'll talk about one a little bit later, you know, maybe the practice squad is better usage of that resource rather than, um, you know, paying Isaiah Oliver $2.5 million against the salary cap, $2 million of which you can free up by cutting him, you know, money that could be handy in improving other weaknesses elsewhere on the roster at the end of the summer. So that tends to push me in the direction that I think Isaiah Oliver is firmly on the roster bubble. bubble. But for all we know, you know, Oliver could come out this summer and ball out and outshine Hall and, and earn the starting nickel cornerback spot. And, and certainly that would shut me up. But necessarily, history isn't on Isaiah Oliver's side in that regard because he isn't exactly known for playing stellar football, at least in the preseason or at least early on in the regular season. He has continually struggled, you know, you know, from August through September. And it's usually October and November where we start to see good Isaiah Oliver play, at least in his first three NFL seasons. So we'll see if that changes under this new regime. But certainly if he just continues down that same path, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily bode well for him. But, you know, beyond those two, um, the, you know, that's the main competition at this position. And I think everybody else is sort of competing for a depth role. But it, it seems like most of these guys are primarily going to be more special teams contributors than uh, defensive contributors, assuming that the Falcons aren't devastated by injuries this year. As I mentioned previously, you know, Avery Williams, the Falcons' fifth-round pick, will probably get some reps at nickel cornerback, but his primary role this year is expected to be the primary punt returner uh, in conjunction with Cordero Patterson being the primary kick returner. And so we talk about, you know, guys being active on game day. If if Williams does fill that job, then he has an automatic, you know, spot as an active guy and might wind up being the guy more likely to be active as the fourth corner in the event that the Falcons only activate four corners on Sunday than, say, an Isaiah Oliver. And Kendall Sheffield is also in that same boat um, because while we can question maybe his defensive prowess, you know, he – proved to be at least in the early part of 2019 before he was promoted uh, to the starting lineup uh, to be a very effective gunner on punt coverage. Um, and also gives you some valuable depth that unlike Oliver is may not be as limited to certain matchups because Sheffield has the speed uh, to play both inside and outside. We've seen him play well inside, not so much outside, but at least in theory, when you're going up against those, you know, vertical threats like the Robbie Andersons of the world that you're going to be potentially facing this year, you're not as worried about Kendall Sheffield in that matchup as you were about Isaiah Oliver. And so, as I said, you know, I'm not a huge fan 
fan of Sheffield uh, from his defensive performance a year ago. I was very disappointed with his uh, lack of growth in my eyes a year ago and arguably regression. And I think you could certainly say in a vacuum, I have a generally much more favorable opinion of Isaiah Oliver as a cornerback than I do of Kendall Sheffield based off of their play a year ago. But the benefit that Sheffield has is that versatility, that ability to play on special teams. And that becomes valuable, a lot more valuable when we're talking about you being a backup that isn't asked to be a starter. than it is, you know, in the case of someone like Isaiah Oliver, where we're looking at a player that's kind of limited to just being an inside corner and maybe a potential tight end eraser. So, um, you know, I think beyond those guys, you you know, I wasn't particularly impressed with guys like Tyler Hall and Delrick Abrams last year. You know, I thought Abrams was okay when he was on the field, but he seems more like that classic Dan Quinn style cover three corner. And I wonder if the Dean P's coaching staff will be as um, favorable towards that type of corner moving forward. And, you know, Hall is that smaller slot corner that has, that was a returner in college, but it seems like the Falcons got their own version of that in Avery Williams. And with the presences of, of guys like Hall and, and Oliver, that is a lot less valuable uh, entering this summer, which leaves us with the other cornerback, which is Chris Williamson, who is somewhat intrigued intriguing because when he was drafted by the giants a year ago, you know, I read some reports that they kind of envisioned him for a similar role to what we talked about uh, for Isaiah Oliver as this sort of hybrid nickel corner slash dime safety type of guy. Um, and, you know, Williamson has some size, not quite as big as a player like Oliver, but has some size, you know, has some comfort playing in the box as he was a nickel cornerback that would play in the box a little bit uh, and, and fill against the run at Minnesota those last two years. And, and that's what we're talking about where you're, you're looking at a Deji Olatoye type that you don't necessarily have to keep a roster spot on. You know, these roster spots, these last couple of roster spots become very valuable if you have injuries elsewhere and having that flexibility uh, for potentially stashing a player like a Chris Williamson on the practice squad, I think does give you some value, not to mention he's considerably cheaper. If you do keep a six cornerback, than say Isaiah Oliver, he's literally one fourth the price of what Isaiah Oliver is going to be making. So you're, you're essentially saving 75 cents on the dollar. If you decide to keep Chris Williamson as your sort of developmental dime defensive back over someone like an Isaiah Oliver. So we'll just sort of have to see how that turns out, but I, I would keep it out, you know, you know, in, in terms of a sleeper type of guy, I wouldn't sit here shocked a month from now if Chris Ola, Chris Williamson, I'm sorry, um, winds up you know making the roster or, or being considered the sixth cornerback just because the Falcons might envision him for that sort of that need to have someone else with some size that can go up against some of the bigger uh, wide receivers and tight ends that we're going to face this year, but they don't want to pay Isaiah Oliver. So keep an eye on someone like a Chris Williamson, um, and certainly you know the conversation with this position group is the same as it has been with so many others, where you're potentially looking at the team scouring the waiver wire later this summer if they're not happy with the current players in camp uh, and you know that two million dollars in savings that you can make from cutting Isaiah Oliver uh, would be beneficial if you're for you when you're scouring the waiver wire at the end of August so there you guys have it with the cornerback position that 
leaves us with just one position group. And we're going to talk about the safeties on Monday. And then the plan is Tuesday when training, when players start reporting to camp and there's probably, hopefully there's not going to be any major, major breaking news. We can get into my 53 man roster projection on Tuesday. And then as things start to unfold later in the week, we can start talking about the daily updates that we're going to get. Um, even though practices won't be starting until what Thursday, Friday or whatever the case may be. Um, so we'll, we'll just sort of have to see how that goes, but um, there's still one roster spot available for the Falcons. So one would imagine they're going to try to fill that over the weekend or early next week. So that may be something else that we can talk about, um, you know, on future episodes of the locked on Falcons podcast. But before we duck out of here, guys, for the weekend, I want to let you guys know about the locked on today podcast. You know, I have you covered on all things Falcons, but who's got you covered for the rest of sports. That's of course, host Peter Bukowski on the locked on today podcast. It's all the sports news that you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Probably get Peter's reaction to all the sort of COVID vaccine stuff and new NFL memos, as well as on the Locked On NFL podcast and elsewhere on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, guys. As I said, uh, we'll be back next week. If you have any questions, you know, given that there may be a little bit of a lull in news next week during the middle of the week, as we wait for practices, we'll have some opportunities to maybe do some uh, Q and a. So if you want to send in your questions, of course you can do so via Twitter at lockdown Falcons, via Facebook at lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com. Appreciate it guys. Have a great weekend.